few years and what July means um, for the nation, for us individually, um, for summertime travels and, and stuff like that too. You know, we've had a gorgeous week of weather, being able to be outside, doing a lot of things. Um, you know, and as you come in this morning, I could just feel tired. Now, some of that is because, you know, you start having those logistic dreams of not making your flight and not having everything ready. So that's started up for me already. So that's one reason why I'm tired. But, you know, when I look back on this week, I think it was just very interesting. It's just kind of how I can vocalize all the things that had happened this week through my times of study and different interactions with people. And as I start, I have to do something that was left out last week, which I realized right after the service. Of course, you always forget people. So I did forget somebody. So Eric, if I could have you stand at this time. <laughs> Eric is our custodian at this time, and he cleans the church usually <laughs> Thursday or Fridays. <laughs> Um, so if we're out of things or if something gets missed in terms of cleaning, you can let him know. But also, you can sit down, it's okay. But also because I know sometimes maybe we'll spill some coffee or some hot chocolate on the carpet. And we're good about patting it up, but now you know, hey, Eric, I accidentally spilled and maybe you can get some spot remover on it today rather than Thursday or Friday. So again, I apologize for looking right over you last week, but... You know, for this morning, though, as we dive in, we want to reflect about what we talked about last week a little bit, um, when we talked about the body and how the body works together. We want to continue to pray about the direction that we're going in individually and as a church, what God would have us do to grow as a body spiritually, to impact our community with the Great Commission message. Um, you know, and as I've been praying through a lot of this stuff, um, you know, it's a lot of planning, it's a lot of administration, it's a lot of leadership. And, you know, when we think about leadership in general roles in the world, we experience a lot of different types of leaders. You know, leaders oftentimes will have to introduce change. They encourage, they guide, they direct. Sometimes they're pushing and dragging people along those changes within an organization through the twists and turns of life. You know, and as they get people to one point in a journey, normally you would allow them to rest for a little bit, then you get them back up and on to the next thing. And many times when people face those types of leadership challenges and changes, they think, wait, we just worked hard to get here and you want us to move again? Why? Well, I mean, the simple answer is the work's not done, right? The fields are ripe and the workers are few and we have other places to be. And you know, the way the Lord works sometimes amazes me. Let me rephrase that. The Lord is always amazing, but when I'm aware of it or alert to it, then I am amazed. That might sound a little bit more accurate. Um, but you know, I really focused in last week on the last verse of chapter 12, and it stuck in my mind. And it says, I will... I will show you a still more excellent way. You know, you think about your jobs, you think about your relationships that you have, you, your marriages, parent-child relationships. 
You think about how you are performing in those things right now. Do you believe that there is a more excellent way than where you are currently? Do you believe that you can continue to grow, to improve yourself in matters of faith, in terms of your walk with the Lord, in terms of your obedience, your trust in Him? Or do you think that you have arrived in your walk, in different areas of your life? You know, when we think about a still more excellent way, it's a wonderful teaching that I think that we need to focus in on a little bit more in our lives. We come to chapter 13 in Corinthians, known as the love chapter. Now, sometimes some scholars will say that this chapter is just is disjointed from chapters 12 and 14 because both of those speak on the gifts, and this is kind of a, a separate topic. But when you think about what Paul says about love and how it connects everything together, I think that it's in between these two chapters because it is a central theme that we need to understand and that we need to practice a little bit more fully. So if you have your Bibles, uh, open them up to chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians, and we will read this chapter today. Beginning in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I grew up, gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Father, as we study your word, as we open it up to see your truths, I pray that you would give us understanding, give us clarity in our hearts and minds, so that we may apply it and live it fully for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we're going to break this chapter up into three different segments this morning uh, to dive a little bit deeper within them, and we're going to take the first three verses to start. Uh, these verses show the necessity of love. Now, this is kind of a callback to a lot of gifts that we just went over in chapter 12, and here Paul is comparing the different classes of gifts, um, and he's giving some extreme examples of what they would look like without love. Now, it should go without saying that the love here is agape love. It is God's love, the divine love. 
Um, I know many times, especially when we look at the next section where it's kind of describing love, we can think of um, our marriages or our spouses, and we can think of more of a romantic love with those descriptions. But again, it is agape love. Um, and just a, a quick fact, with three Greek terms for love, phileo, agape, and eros, eros being the romantic love, never occurs in the Bible. So it's either the brotherly love or God's love. Um, so as we're talking about his love, Paul is stressing how it's a far more important thing to be practiced than the gifts. So the Corinthians should be living their lives, cultivating love, understanding what it means. So we should give attention to what this love means and how to cultivate it in our own lives as well to strategically understand what the body of Christ is about. You know, as he is elaborating this fact, he's showing how love surpasses the most important gifts. Now, he's not disregarding the gifts by any means. But you think about this list that was shown in chapter 12. You think about the list in Romans 12. You think about the offices. As we've gone through this, we've said, you know, it's not an exhaustive list, even though we treat it as this are, these are the gifts of the Spirit, and we keep things in a box. You know, when we talked about different ministry ideas, I'm trying to get us to think outside of the box. But many times, people are only focused in on what's there. But with what's there, you have to also think, within the Corinthians church, there was probably people that didn't have any of those gifts. But what Paul is saying is, even if you don't have those gifts, you can still practice love. You can still be a believer who understands the love that you've received and express that to others. You know, clearly, they needed to practice love more fully as a church. So again, not disregarding the gifts um, and not showing a contrast here, but rather showing the importance and the value of love. How the fruits of the Spirit that are found in Galatians that start off with love seem to be a more obvious demonstration of the Spirit's presence in a person's life, in a believer's life, rather than the gifts that they are so focused on. Again, they were spiritualizing the gifts to say that we are more important than you because we have this gift over here. For the Corinthian church, to be spiritual meant that you had pride in what you were able to do. If you had tongues, if you had knowledge, if you had wisdom, you were important. Never mind having Christian behavior filled with love. You know, Paul addresses that in many areas of the letter. For Paul, a spiritual church was one that would have waited to have communion as one body. One that says, we follow Christ, not Paul or Peter or Apollos. One that would speak truth to the sin that was within the body. You know, and as you look through these verses, if you look at all of the if statements there, we see some extremes in faith. You know, if I'm speaking in the tongues of men and angels, it just talks about eloquence in your speech. If faith to move all obstacles, uh, impossibilities that are, that are within your path. If you know all things, if you understand all of the revelations of God, if you're completely generous with whatever you have, if you were to be a martyr, if all of that was done but without love, it's nothing. Vernon McGee 
explain it this way. You know, he said, if, if you look at these statements, these different things, and you just put a zero because they're nothing for each one, what is the value? Zero. But if you add in one, or if you add in love, you put the one in front of the zeros, and it gives it value. It gives it worth. You know, when you think about how doing all of this stuff but without love is nothing, it really made me think of Matthew 7 this week, one of those scariest passages of the Bible, where many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do all of these things in your name? Do we not cast out demons? Do we not heal the sick? Do we not raise the dead? Do we not do all of these things in your name? And Jesus says, away from me. I never knew you, you evildoer. Now, we can do a lot of good stuff. We can do a lot of churchy things. But if it's not rooted in the love of God, it means nothing. If it's not based from our salvation experience and what God has done for us to share that love with others, it's nothing other than performance, other than works. Love needs to be at the center of all that we're doing. If it's in our own power, it's nothing but filthy rags to the Lord. For the next segment, focusing on verses four through seven, we find characteristics or a description of love. I'm very hesitant to say a definition of love because when you say that this is a definition of love, again, it box in the term. You put limits or boundaries on your understanding for love. Again, when we define love with these terms, we limit our understanding of it. But as you're doing that, many times it's based on your own expectations. And it's not giving you a full understanding. I mean, it's similar to say, can you, can you define a sunset? Can you define a blooming rose? I mean, you can come up with some technical terms to help give some basic understanding, but you're not going to encapsulate all of what the term means if you were to go view the sunset and understand what that means or just smell the rose through that experience. So to define love like this kind of makes the term less than what it is. So it's characteristics, it's a description. And again, many times we look at this section and then we hold our loved ones to this standard. We hold it over our heads when our spouses aren't patient or kind, when they're not enduring our shortcomings, when they're envious. We insert our expectations of others into this verse. It's kind of the log in your own eye type of mentality to where we need to apply these verses to ourselves first. It's also similar to when you hear a podcast or a message and you think right away, oh, I know who needs to hear this message. I hope they're listening right now. When that happens, because it always happens, we miss the messages that God is speaking to us, the conviction that the Spirit has on our heart because we're focused on others and how they need to improve rather than how we need to obey and trust in the Father. You know, the love that Paul is calling for here, it doesn't injure another person, it does not seek its own way, it's not envious or boastful. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not resent others. It does not rejoice at evil, but rather the truth. It's kind. It's patient. 
that endures all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and bears all things. And, you know, when we look at the text, those five negatives that are listed there, they marked the Corinthian church. Paul talks about before this section times that the Corinthians were envious, times that they were boastful, proud, rude, self-seeking. And, you know, I looked at this list and I laughed. I mean, what if our life came with chapters and verses? How much longer would that list be if you could write down those times that Kurt was envious or Kurt was proud? Well, the books will be opened and we will give an account of our life. But the good news is that love covers a multitude of sins. I mean, you look at how Paul says that love bears all things, how it endures all things, how it is patient. And this week, I just, I thought of God the Father, infinitely patient, bearing with ungrateful, disobedient creations that would rather create idols than wholehearted devotion to his, their creator. To bear with an adulterous people, to endure the suffering of the cross, to have a longing to be restored. What a great love the Father has. A sacrificial love. But what do we sacrifice in return? Or is our response, what can I get out of this rather than gratitude? So I had thoughts of the Father, but I also thought about Jesus, the example that we have of Christ. And this week I focused on the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus was alone, where those who were the closest to him were asleep, where it was just him and the Father, was that love, was that connection enough? You know, and as I thought about our own situations, we have ups and downs in our walks, ups and downs in our life all of the time. In those moments when you're going through those trials where it seems that everybody else is away from you and it's just you and the Father, is that enough? Is that enough to continue to serve him, to follow him, to obey him if it's just you? If there's no accolades, if there's no applause, if there's nobody saying good job, if everybody around you is asleep, is it enough to understand the love of the Father that he has for you and to reciprocate that back, saying, yes, Lord, here I am. Again, an interesting week. But you think of all that Jesus endured as he struggled with the pain that he was in the garden and would be facing on the cross that he was bearing. Would he still go through with it? Would he still show that love to his father and to the disciples who fell asleep? You know, when you look at these characteristics of love, they can be overwhelming when you take them in as a whole. So focus on one or two. Make that your prayer. Lord, I'm struggling with patience. 
Would you give me the strength to be patient, to show your love through patience this week? Help me deal with envy or pride. And you take steps in your growth. You don't become a mature believer overnight. It's through those trials that you're going through where you are placing your hope and your trust in the Father to carry you through. It's part of that sanctifying process where we are understanding the love that he has for us. Third section, verses 8 through 13. Here we see the permanence of love. So we saw the necessity, we saw characteristics of love, now we see the permanence of love, how love never ends. It's a special promise. It's one that can give us great strength in those moments of weakness. And it's within these verses that there is some controversy that I mentioned a few weeks ago, dealing with the phrase, when the perfect comes, and talking about how people understand the gifts, whether they will cease or pass away. So the main point of this section, I'm going to give at the front end, and then we'll kind of walk through it. Um, Paul is pointing out, you know, in this whole chapter, that agape love, divine love, should characterize the total being of a disciple, of a follower of Jesus, both now and forever, because love is permanent, whereas the gifts are temporary, and they are made for a specific person, or purpose, they're given for those purposes as well, um, but they're temporary, and they are operated out of love. You know, they help to accomplish God's great commission. They help to build up the church, the believers, and the body, but love, as it says in the final verse, is the greatest of virtues, and that needs to be recognized. So with that point being kind of front-loaded, let's kind of dive in to the controversy. So verses 8 through 10, kind of focusing on those. As it says, prophecies will pass away. Now, we've been over the term prophecy before, um, showing how it's more than just predicting the future, even though that's the way many people take it. It is being the mouthpiece of God. It is saying, thus saith the Lord. Uh, Tongues will cease. For that one, just notice the different verb for now. And then knowledge will pass away. So with both knowledge and prophecy, the verbs there, the will pass away is the same Greek term. Um, Sometimes English will have all three verbs be translated a little bit differently. Now, normally a balanced view of cessation, meaning the gifts have ceased, is that the gifts of prophecy, tongues, healings, and miracles have ceased. And a lot of times they will use these verses as a proof text. My question has always been about knowledge. Where does that fall into play in terms of the gifts being ceased since that's included here? So, controversy aside, let's dive into what the text says. So, I'm going to do a little bit of English class for us. I know the kids are excited about that because it's summer and they shouldn't be learning. But when we look at these verbs, they are future passives. Two of them are. The ones that deal with prophecy and knowledge. Now, future passive is the tense and the voice. Future obviously means in the future. Passive means the action is going to be done to the subject by an outside force, in this case, God. For tongues, it is a middle, uh, future middle for the voice. Uh, With that, the subject does and receives the action of the verb. So this means basically 
um, the tongues will kind of peter out on their own, is what it's saying here. So when we look at the verbs, we can see those different connections. Uh, we see connections between prophecy and knowledge more so than prophecy and tongues in terms of how the verbs are being used. We see this as well in verse 9 where Paul says, we know in part and we prophesy in part, both present tense. So Paul is constructing a picture of the now and the then. The question becomes, when is the then? And he gives the reference point of when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So there are a few views with understanding this phrase and how you understand this phrase a lot of times will kind of determine how you're viewing the gifts um, and your understanding of all of that. So some view this as the perfect, when the perfect comes as when Jesus comes back. So more towards the rapture period. Some view it also could be when the new heaven and the new earth happen. Some view this as when the last book of the New Testament was finished. Not necessarily the canon, but when that last book was finished, then knowledge was complete, and then there was no more need for prophecy at that time. I believe that the perfect talks about eternity and when Jesus is coming back. Now, I could easily see how it's the new heaven or new earth or the rapture setting. There will be people that are still being saved during the tribulation, so I'm kind of in between rapture and, and new heaven and new earth for, for as to when the perfect comes. Let me explain that a little bit further of why I think that. So, I start with the will pass away in, the fu uh, in verse 10 being another future passive. It's an action that's done by the Lord, and I connect it to verse 12, along with this picture that he is painting about the now and then. Now we see dimly. Then we will see face to face. Since I'm not face to face, I don't understand everything. I know in part, etc. Face to face, we wouldn't need prophecies because we stand before God. In the then, we would not need to speak in tongues because we will all hear God and understand him. You know, the knowledge that we so greatly lift up now would be irrelevant in the then because we would perfectly know things. When we look at verse 11, we see an illustration of how as believers now, no matter how mature we are, no matter how old we are, no matter how much we know, how much faith we have, we are still compared to a child in the now. Compared to then, we would be as adults because we would know all things. The difference between earth and heaven is indescribable. Similar to trying to define love. We fail in our understanding with this. And when we think about children, we think about how obsessive they can be over things, over toys, over things that don't last or don't really matter. What Paul is saying to the Corinthian church is you're acting like children. You're focusing on things that are temporal. You're lifting up and having pride in these things that will pass away. You need to focus on things that are going to be eternal, such as love. And he uses this imagery of a mirror and seeing dimly because Corinth was a metals producer. 
So you think of the types of mirrors that they would have back then. It would most probably be polished bronze. You know, when you, when you look in a shiny metal, it's not going to give a very clear reflection back. It's going to be dim. You know, in our standards, you think of, you can even look at a very high-definition picture of the Grand Canyon versus being there and seeing it in person. Within a picture, we don't see the whole thing. When we're there and we experience it, we then know. And I love the second part of verse 12 as well. As he says, now I know in part, meaning I don't understand everything, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Some more English for us. Now I know in part, present active, then, future middle, have been fully known, an aorist passive. Aorist means a continued past. So this last part shows how God has fully known us in our continued past. How he has known us before we were born. How he knows us intimately. It shows the concern and the love of the Father to know and be involved in his creation. To understand that God desires that none should perish but all to come to him through faith in Jesus. And he has given the believers the gospel message to be shared so that we can share that with everyone. You think about what Jesus did on the cross with his sacrifice. His blood poured out to pay the sin debt that we all owe. It's rooted in love because God is love. And to think that he has known us fully. All the things of this earth will pass away. We're repeatedly told not to hold on to things that are temporal, but rather hold on to things that will last, to what will remain. And in view of this, Paul contrasts what will pass away in our passage, such as knowledge, tongues, prophecy. He contrasts that to faith, hope, and love. These three will endure. Now, faith there is not the gift of faith, something that grows in sanctification, but that initial saving trust in God. The future, we will continue to trust God, we will continue to hope in Him, but the reality of His presence is going to make that easier. But when you think of love in the then, when the perfect comes, do you understand that love will increase? Do you understand that as you continue to go deeper with the Father, your love between Him and you will increase? Among the enduring virtues listed here, love is the greatest. Perhaps this shows that love is superior to the other virtues, the other fruits, the other gifts. But we have to understand that love is intertwined with all of those things. And it's just going to be a virtue that deepens as we see him face to face. As Paul has explained the gifts, as he has explained the body to the Corinthian church, he was dealing with issues that they struggled with. They were holding on to these things that were temporal. And they were holding on to them in high regard. Yes, they are important for the church to be able to complete the mission that is ahead of them. But what they did not understand was love. Love is the linchpin to their life and ministries. 
It was the central characteristic and virtue that was to be displayed in their life. And as we think about the changes that we're praying about, as we think about the different ministries, different opportunities to serve, the different leaders that are going to be stepping up, as we continue to grow, both spiritually and numerically, we cannot lose sight of this lesson. Everything that we are doing needs to be rooted and grounded in love. We cannot serve out of spite, envy, prideful attitudes, prestige, but we need to serve out of the divine love that God has given us, that we have received through salvation. That love is what drives us, motivates us, gets us up to advance the kingdom of God and share the gospel message. We have been blessed by the grace of God to be a blessing to those around us. To operate ministry and life in any other way will fall short. Love is the more excellent way that we need to choose in how we're responding to many different situations in life. Whether that's conversations that we have with people that might want Roe versus Wade to be brought back into law. Whether that's coworkers who might irritate us. Spouses or family members that might push our buttons. Our church family who walks through the messiness of life with us. Everything needs to be done in love. Where we are walking in love, keeping in step with the Spirit as we're being made into the image of Christ. We are His image bearers for a reason. It is because He is to get the glory now and then forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this important theme, this important lesson, Lord, I just pray that you would help cultivate love in our lives. Not a brotherly love, not a romantic love, but a godly love, Lord where we understand the salvation that we have received. We understand what we've been saved from with sin and the destination separated from you in hell. Lord, by, your, by the blood of your Son, saved to be able to be in your presence Lord, we cannot fully define or describe what it would be like to see you face to face, but we long for that day. Lord, as the account of our lives are read, as the books are opened, Lord, there will be tears. There will be despair for some and joy for others because we understand that you are a just and holy God. Lord, you would not be God if you weren't. But in your infinite wisdom, Lord, you have created us in this world. You have shown us what love is through the sacrifice of your Son. Jesus says for us to follow him, we need to count the cost. Lord, we have to understand sacrifice. 
we have to understand that love is not about envy and pride and jealousy and slander, sexual immorality, and all these things that, that we struggle with as people and as a nation. Lord, I pray for forgiveness. I pray for hearts of repentance. I pray for the conviction of the Spirit to lay on our hearts and minds those times that we were unloving to one another by our deeds, by our words. Lord, I pray that we can lean into you. As people look to us as Christians, Lord, they will know us by our love. Let us be your hands and feet. Let us be your examples to a hurting, broken world that needs to hear your truth and experience your love to save them from the state of sin and lostness that they are in. Lord, it is only by your grace. So I pray that you would give us boldness to speak the truth, opportunities to lean into the Spirit as he nudges. And Lord, help us to live a life full of love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.